I'm going to share it as soon as he gets that done. <laughs> uh, we we um, have to do things a little bit differently on our social media, on our Facebook page now. So uh, once he gets that up, then I can share it. So bear with me just a moment and we will have that going in just a moment, share it in just a moment. The weather is nice outside today. We finally got a day of, I think the temperature is 57 degrees in St. Louis, Missouri. <clears throat> we have sunny skies today. I feel like the weather uh, broadcaster, the weather person. <laughs> We have sunny skies today, beautiful Sabbath day. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started while he's trying to get that up and going. And then I may pause to um, share it once we um, get that live on our Facebook page. Okay, he's giving me the thumbs up. Uh, oh, there we go. I see it now. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and share it. If anybody else wants to share it, go ahead and share now. Um, I'm going to share to a couple of groups that I'd like to share too. Most of the time. Okay, there we go. All right. Okay. Hello, hello. Hello, uh, we got some of our other class members joining. We are live. Um, and we're gonna go ahead and get started. As I said, we're in Testimonies for the Church, volume one. Uh, we're in chapter 80 and we're starting at paragraph 444.1. Let me just back up a, a minute and just give you the title of this chapter. And it is uh, Unconsecrated Ministers. And um, we have been dealing with Brother Hull, which, as I stated before, it's very rare that Sister White would actually mention the full name of someone. She generally just gives their initials. But in this particular case, um, I guess she thought it best for everyone involved that she mentioned his whole name in this uh, chapter. We've, we've also dealt with Brother Hull in other chapters. So... Uh, I think he was heavily on Sister White's mind, and um, she heavily on heavily on her nerves too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Maybe you're right about that. So we're starting with the paragraph that says 444.1. Some who have but little experience and are least qualified to teach the truth are the very last ones to ask advice and counsel of their experienced brethren. They put on the minister and played themselves on a and place themselves on a level with those of long and tried experience and are not satisfied unless they can leave thinking that because they are ministers they know all that is worth knowing and then uh, further down in that paragraph she says ministers of experience who realize the sacredness of the work and feel the weight of the cause upon them are jealous of themselves they consider it a privilege to advise with their brethren and are not offended if improvements are suggested in their plans of labor or in their manner of speaking. So in this paragraph, she's talking about two different types of people. Anybody want to just Karen, I seem yes. to be kind of lost. I seem to be kind of lost. Did you say we were going to do 441.1? Yes. Chapter okay. four, four. I, right. I don't, mine didn't read the same as yours. I don't huh. know why. Okay. Mine started off purity four, of life and, and parts re, re, refinement, which will lead those possessing it to shrink more and more from coarse and indignant in sin. Are you in the right chapter? That's yeah. chapter 80, uh huh. It says unconsecrated un ministers, Our chapter minister. 80. Four four point one. Check your paragraph again. Four four. Yep, that's where I'm at. I'm thinking huh. when when you was reading that, I was thinking of of mm -hmm. chapter seventy nine, and I was like, she couldn't be in seventy nine because she said, I mean, I'm like I said, you said uh, chapter eighty. That's where I'm at, but my paragraph doesn't read that. Hmm. Okay. Does All your right, paragraph well, start start with purity of life? 
No, it says some who have but little experience. Okay. I'll just so, no. kind of... Okay, well, just bear with us then, and maybe it'll sink. I will. I'm not sure. I'm okay. not sure why that's different. Uh, but in any event, okay. um, in this not paragraph, different. she's talking about two different that's types of ministers. First testament. And um, in the top part of the paragraph, she's talking about those who are inexperienced, but feel like can't nobody tell them nothing. Um, and then at the bottom part of that, she's talking about the experienced ministers who realize how sacred the work is, and they welcome uh, the advice of their brethren. And they're not offended at all if their brethren tell them, hey, you know what, make suggestions on how to improve uh, uh, whatever they're doing to gain souls for the kingdom. Um, anybody have a comment on that? Well, those are the people that have some... Uh common sense and also a recognition that nobody knows everything and you can mm. learn from some you can learn something from anybody even people who you feel aren't uh as mental as uh intelligent as you or have your experience you can still learn something from people who are amateurs and novices right but folks here was they uh, thought you know hey i'm the pastor i know it all that's just not true. And you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting the church because you're not allowing the, as the Bible says, the wisdom in a multitude of counsel to assist you in doing what God wants you, you to do. And anytime we go off on our own tangent, we're just asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, you ever know anybody that was a know-it-all? Couldn't tell them nothing? Plenty of time. Amen. <laughs> And you know, what's interesting about that is that those who make it into the kingdom are going to be forever learning for throughout eternity. We're going to be learning. So if you can't, if you, if you don't want to learn now, I don't think you need to know anything here. I think you know everything here. Uh, what, what, what's going to happen if, if you make it to the kingdom? You're not going to make it because you're going to think you already know everything. So why should God well, take you there where he can teach well, you something because you, well, you don't want to learn? Well, that, what, what You'll church, be miserable. So what, you what won't church, be in heaven. What church does that sound like in Revelation, the know-it-all church? Laodicea, that they didn't, know any, they didn't need anybody. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then let's go down to the next paragraph, top part of that paragraph. It says those ministers. Oh, Karen, before you go there, I okay. was thinking there's there will probably be there's probably a lot of people now who when you speak to them about, you know, the joys of heaven and oh, don't you want to be ready when Jesus come? And they there's a lot of people I think would say, no, nah, I don't really care about going to heaven. I already know what's there. Mm. That's sad, isn't it? Because yes, the word says, I have not seen nor ear heard things that God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah, tell Karen that Venus a and Sister Karen, you also have those people now that, you know, they'll like they be laughing. They like, you still going to go through like the, the, the uh, Alton Church is going back through Daniel Revel Revelation. And I had a sister ask me, said, why are you going to go through that again? You already know everything. I said, there's always something new to learn. So I think people have gotten to the point that, you know, if somebody wants to preach on Luke, whatever, I already know that. So I'm not, you know, I don't need to listen to that. But you can always find something new from, from different people that teach the same thing. And that's absolutely Hey, correct. Karen, Alvina's waiting to get in. Oh, okay. Okay. He said she's not. Tell her to try again. Tell her to try again. Oh, Alvina, if you can hear this, try again to get on to get on because he's not seeing you in the waiting room. Uh, what's interesting to me is that um, uh, now I, I hope I pick back up my train of thought. Oh, the word is living. It's a living word. So that means that if it's living, every time you hear a sermon, even if it's about the same chapter or whatever it's going to be different it's going to strike people differently it's like it's like knowing someone and having a conversation with them one day or you're not gonna you may discuss some of the same things the next day but probably that conversation is going to be a little different you're going to learn something new and so 
I think, I think learning the word of God or reviewing it or going over it or hearing a sermon about the same um, chapter, there's always going to be something more we can learn from it. Amen. Uh, and then let's go on to this next chapter. It says those ministers who have come out from the different denominations to embrace the third angel's message often wish to teach when they should be what? Learners. 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 Some have a great share of their former teaching to unlearn the same. before they can fully learn the principles of present truth. So she's saying there. Uh, uh, when that when when we have ministers coming out of other denominations, don't stick them right in the pulpit. They need to learn some things. They need to unlearn a whole lot before they learn some other things. And so um, it's very interesting that we don't we don't really think as humans in terms of we got to unlearn stuff as part of our education, do we? <laughs> we don't generally think that way. But uh, it says that ministers will injure the cause of God by going forth to labor for others when there is as great a work to be done for them to fit them for their labors as they may wish to do for unbelievers. Karen Alvina is still trying to get in. She said, she said the zip code's not working or something. Yeah, discipleship. Uh, Tell her to try again, because everybody else is, uh, Alvina, everyone else is on, if you can hear us. She might be trying to get through her laptop or something, because remember last week, I, I had, I, it wouldn't let me get on to be able to visually see you guys. So I'm on the phone this week. Okay. Okay. Alvina, you might have to try the phone if you're not able to get through. So the problem is not on our end, it's on your end. Um, in any event, um, Though she was talking about their ministers that had converted to the faith and that they should not just be thrust into the pulpit to start teaching anything until they unlearn some of the other things. What, 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 what do you imagine are some of the other things they might have to unlearn? It's a lot of things they have to unlearn. In fact, I have heard pastors get up, you know, people, not pastors, but maybe a, an elder that was just uh, not too long converted and they get up and do a sermon and next thing you know, they're talking about the dead are in heaven and looking down on people. You know, it's a lot of doctrinal beliefs that other churches don't have that we have from the scriptures. And they'll, they think it's true because they haven't been taught properly and they're spreading error. And the same thing I think happens when new members come in. Yeah, we want all the new members to get involved in outreach, but they shouldn't be going out by themselves. They should go with a more experienced member and they should still be learning you know it's okay they go out and participate but you shouldn't be out there on your own if you're just coming into the church because it's a lot of error that needs to be straightened out all right i agree also, with brother carol I think but one but one we, we should never have newly converted elders and then two uh, um we have a that's why we have those classes to teach them the doctrine from the bible like the state of the dead and you're absolutely right brother carol people are saying a heartbeat if they've been raised just you know to believe you go to heaven they'll say something about you know they'll mention that i know my grandmother's looking down on us and all that kind of stuff but that's why we uh, educate them first before we send them out and i also think too that ministers coming from other denominations some of them will continue to preach on this rapture, and it's not biblical. And even in our churches, a lot of ministers are still saying that the lamb's wife is us. We, we are the lamb's wife, and he's coming back to get us, but he's not coming back for his wife. He's coming back for those people that are invited to the wedding feast. The marriage, the marriage ceremony has already been taking place before he even comes back. And we still have a lot of ministers preaching that we are the wife. Wow, I never heard that one. Yes, the spirit, the servant of the Lord, Sister White Rice said that the um, new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Absolutely. Like Andre Absolutely. said, we're the guests to the wedding. But that, 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 that is, that is more- is the wedding guest. 
how'd you get into this wedding without a garment? You right. know, talking about those right. who accept Christ. Right. And that's dealing with continuing to learn in our own faith rather than someone new coming in and coming in with errors. Um, All right. Uh, And let's go down to near the bottom of paragraph 44.3. And it it starts the sentence, "When when the work moves hard and everything assumes a discouraging aspect, the excitable and those dependent upon feeling are not prepared to bear their share of the burdens. In times of discouragement and darkness, how important to have what kind of thinking, man? Anybody reading along uh, with me? Calm uh, thinking. Share the, okay. Important to calm thinking men. Right. Who are not dependent on circumstances, but who trust God and labor on in the what? Darkness as, as well, well as, as in the light. In the light. In the light. You know anybody? Have you known any ministers like that that when they should have been discouraged, they just keep on, they just keep on, you know, preaching through. Amen. Yes. Yes. I or, or, or. About what it said about the excitable, a uh, little uh-huh. up for a couple sentences up for where you started, Karen. Okay. It's a mistake to think a man cannot preach unless he becomes wrought up to a high degree of excitement. So mm-hmm. we feel like if the pastor ain't shouting and screaming, he's not preaching. He just, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be that high degree of excitement. Excitement is good and it should just be for real. It shouldn't be like, I got to go entertain the members. So they'll come back next week. Shouldn't mm-hmm. You should just be preaching as God gave you the talent to do. Not everybody's even that type of person. So right. you, you go up there and become an actor. You just do thus right. saith the Lord and preach the word and let the Holy spirit cause the excitement. Right, right. And, and I think there is a distinction between someone who puts on a show and someone who actually reaches someone's heart with the message, mm-hmm. you know, because it, mm-hmm. it, it has been presented in a thoughtful manner and, 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 a, man, and a manner that provokes, um, uh, I want to say, insight into our own behaviors or insight into the need for change. Right. Than, oh, oh, I'm just, oh, you know, it's like watching a movie, which, which even though, even though by beholding, we do become changed. Um, so watching a, a play or a movie may not necessarily lead to a heart conversion. Yeah. And that's not to say that a pastor who's excited is wrong, just to say it should be real, it should be heartfelt, because mm-hmm. everybody is a shouting type of pastor, but they have messages from the Lord. Not everybody's the more calm type pastor, but they have true message from the Lord. If I'm talking, preaching about heaven, I'm going to get excited, but it's Mm -hmm. going to be fake so I can get you to be excited. That's the Mm -hmm. whole job. Well, you know, I said, I think I'm kind of ahead in some of the lessons that Karen has given us, uh, because I was studying the one about the young people. And I noticed that Ellen White talked about if they if they don't feel like they're getting entertained, they don't feel like they should have to go to church and they're not interested because it's not entertaining to them. And I said, and it was funny because I was watching the young Shelton on TV and his, his mother told her daughter that she couldn't go to a dance because their religion didn't believe in it. And she said, why can't church just be more fun? And I'm like, this is what, what you know, what, what you know the world is coming to if i'm not entertained then i you know i guess church hasn't hasn't done anything for me when that's not the purpose of church mm-hmm. yeah and 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 i think that the enemy has done a job on our young people because uh, we are we this generation is a um instant gratification generation and you know they want they if, if, like you said, if they're not, they're, if they're not entertained because they're into video games, which, you know, it's, it's excitement to them and all kind of stuff that they're exposed to that's excitement to them. You know, even some of the social media sites and things like that, it's a, it's a level of excitement that when they go to church, they're expecting that to be the same thing. And that's entertainment. That's not, that's not, um, revelations of the word of God in a meaningful and insightful way. 
I have a question. Mm -hmm. So what part do you think we as church members play in this uh, shaping of how pastors present the word to us? I think, first of all, we have to come to church with something inside of us. I don't think we should, should expect a pastor to fill up what we should have done in six days, which was study and learn the word. Amen. Even Amen. though we come there to, you know, to hear them, to hear them preach the word, but we ought to have something inside of us that says, I come to church to get something out of the sermon, not what the sermon should do for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, but what I'm asking is about the style of the preaching. What part do we play in shaping that for the pastors? I always say amen to let them know that I'm, I'm participating and I'm understanding. I mean, that's just me. I think a lot of times... Uh, as, as, as I have lived and noticed that our black pastors, they want a um, audience or whatever that, that speaks back to them when they're preaching. Andre says it's call and response. Uh, but uh, they, they, like, they like the interaction with the audience, which is why it's right now, since a lot of stuff is virtual, it's hard on a lot of our pastors because they're not getting that feedback that um, they're, they're normally used to. Um, and, 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 you know, a lot of them will say, well, I went, I preached such and such and such a place and the people sat there and didn't really say a word and didn't really get involved in, you know, uh, interacting with him as he was preaching. Well, I think one thing is that you said uh, earlier, Karen, talking about call and response. Yeah, when you're up preaching, you do like to know that the audience is listening and that right. they're all out there sleeping. But one of the things we got to know, too, is while a sermon can be entertaining, it is not there to be entertainment. That's not right. the purpose of it. It can be inciting. It can be enlightening. It can be spiritual and it can be entertaining. But if you're a, just say you're a basketball player and every time you dunk, the crowd goes wild you're just going to keep on dunking. So if you have a pastor, if he says uh, something like uh, the church members need to quit backbiting and everybody cheers and says, amen, well, he's going to keep doing that, even though that's kind of detrimental, in my opinion, to the members to keep hearing about how the church is doing this and isn't doing that, you know, mm -hmm. get encouragement and spiritual enlightenment not to be talked about. But if the membership cheers and amens to that type of preaching guess what you're going to get you're going to get that right absolutely well and and, and that's interesting that you asked that question Nikita, because lee is absolutely right sometimes the pastors are going to cater what they do to the feedback that they get from their members which do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing no i think it's suggestive i mean subjective as far as style, if a preacher certain preaching a certain way, there may be people in the audience that like it that way and others that don't. But as long as that pastor is uh, dividing the word correctly, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's all mm -hmm. I really need. On the contrary, if they start to mix in some things that we need to change and start calling out sinful behavior, that kind of stuff, then you're going to get a quieter audience and then some of them might not uh, return next week. So then you got the prosperity preachers because they're just, they want to just hear all the praise and, and get all the jumping and shouting and nobody's getting right. any kind of uh, lessons on how to change or let the Holy Spirit work in their life. Or oh, I thought you were going to say the prosperity preachers want people to come back. So they're only going to preach those yes. types of sermons that that when they pass the offering, plate, they have a full house. <laughs> All right. So, you know, that um, that's a good point, too, is that when the pastor preaches uh, sermons that may uh, reflect upon some weaknesses that we have, mm -hmm. I should be quiet. I think um, C.D. Brooks said there sometimes there should be weeping between the altar and the porch. Sometimes we need to feel this uh, this desire to be better, this desire to do better. Right. 
yep. is critical. You know, it's important. And if those people, you know, if some people don't show back up, we entrust them to the hand of God and we ask him to lead them back. But sometimes it does need to be some weeping between the altar and the porch. And also there are times when we need to just hear uh, some teaching. Teaching is not necessarily exciting. Teaching is not necessarily entertaining. But teaching can um, reach into the logical understanding of the brain instead of the emotional side. So right. I, I think all of it is really, really needed. And I don't think that pastor's sermons or style of preaching should be dependent upon how the people respond. If a per, if the Lord tells them to preach on on um, gambling that weekend, they should preach on gambling. Because it's it is it's because of who God God is. He knows who needs that sermon for that week, and and each person is going to get what God intends for them to get for that week. So it needs not to be, you know, persuaded at all by the members. If they sleeping, that's their problem. You know, that's it should not be a reflection of you. You just do what God tells you to do. Now, Lakita brought up a good point in that the pastor. You're our pastor, elder, whoever's preaching might be a lay person preaching. The first thing they have to do is ask the Lord, what would that have me to do? What do you want me to speak about, Lord? These are your people. You know what their needs are. You know what their desires are. You know where they're at. What do you want me to say to them? Because you're called to be a mouthpiece for the Lord at this time, not a mouthpiece for yourself. And you're called to share a word from the Lord. So if you're praying, asking God for the message, and you be yourself and allow the Lord to lead you, that's going to make a difference. But if I, if a person who's preaching says, oh, you know what? I'm going to get on people about this because I've seen this. Or, hey, this would make me look really good if I preach like this. And I'm going to watch this pastor because he preaches and I'm going to follow how he does it. You don't went away from the source. You have to stick to the source first. Ask the Lord, what does he want? And then pray that the Lord will reach the people, regardless of what you say. You're just his mouthpiece for, for that day. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's very true, Lee. Thank you for that comment. Hey, you uh, my comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you spurred the whole conversation to start but, off with. Well, you you know, I have I have some I, I kind of agree with what everybody's saying, but I also for me, this is personally, when before I even go to church, you know, I've done my morning praying and devotion, but when I get to church, I always ask God as as whoever's up there preaching the word, show me what I should be improving and with the Holy Spirit help me to improve where I fall short because I always find something in somebody's sermon that I can go home and say, Lord, I'm not where I need to be in that area. Will you please show me and lead me and guide me? So I think it's a frame of mind when we come to church, an attitude in our minds that we ought to have too. That's true. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hold on for just one second for me. Hello, everybody. Where are we? We're on. We're in 44.3. Four, 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 on what? Chapter 80. Thanks. Okay. Uh, let's go I mean, to the I middle. 445.1. Four, so there's kind of something going on with the numbers. So try each oh. of them, see where you are. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, I want to go to the middle of paragraph 445.1. And uh, okay. I, maybe I need to start a little bit up from where, where I was going to start. But um, she's basically talking about um, young preachers who have been once been ministers and men who have once been ministers who've been coarse and rough in their manners. Okay. And um, they're not, their conversation is not perfectly modest and chaste, and they're not fit to engage in this work. And she says that, um, that often one word spoken unadvisedly may do more harm than a series of meetings held by them will do good. She says they leave the standard of truth which should ever be exalted, Lord to the dust before the community. 
and their converts generally come up no higher than the standard raised for them by the ministers. And then this is the part that I had outlined, underlined, men who are standing between the living and the dead should be just right. The minister should not be off his guard for a single moment. He is laboring to elevate others by bringing them up upon the platform of truth. Let him show to others that the truth has done something for him. He should, he should see the evil of these careless, rough, vulgar expressions and should put away and despise everything of this character. And unless he does this, his converts will pattern themselves after him. What is she saying in that, anybody? Well, that's a deep verse right there. That's, I mean, that's a deep reading that um, people are not going to come go up higher than their leader. And we mm. see that when we just had 45. Yeah, absolutely. He's low and yep. debased and his followers are low and, de low and debased as well. So mm -hmm. people need to be just, just like their leader. Mm-hmm. Which is absolutely. one reason, which is a reason why the church typically moves ministers every seven or eight years so that you can get a more well-rounded experience as opposed to being under one pastor doing the same things for 20 years because mm -hmm. he's making the membership. But if they switch members, you get a little of this type of pastor, this type of minister, this one focuses on these attributes, another one might focus on others. So it's a more well-rounded uh, experience by moving pastors every so often. Absolutely. And the next sentence after that basically says that when faithful ministers come after these ministers that have done harm to the congregation, then the people just say, well, you know, that's what he taught us. That's what he showed us. That's what our pastor before showed us. So that's what he taught us. So that, but you, so know, that you know, Karen, I have a, I have a problem with people saying, well, the pastor said, why haven't they been reading for themselves? Because if you look at it, there's a lot of people, I think somebody brought that up. Anybody can say, oh, I'm going to be a pastor, or I'm going to be a minister, I'm going to go open up a church. If you're not reading the Word of God for yourself, and you're relying on, this is what the pastor said, this is what the pastor said, who are you really following? Mm -hmm. The pastor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you really, you're not following Christ. Right, right. Yeah, and even though we hear a lot about uh, non-Adventist churches following the pastor. Our membership, some of our members follow the pastor too. We can't just point fingers because right. Adventist right. memberships follow the pastors too. Right. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Like at the point now, we should be following Christ. Right, right, absolutely. And then she says, if if then uh, the the minister, the faithful minister that comes behind condemns the prior, the former minister, then they said, then they turn and ask you, well, then why are you, why do you uphold to give influence to men by sending them out to preach to sinners while they're sinners themselves? Mm -hmm. So basically, why are you putting somebody in the pulpit that you know is not right? And so it's almost like they can't win for losing. It's like if they, if they don't say anything, then you have this congregation that's excusing their wrongs based on the, the former <laughs> pastor. If you do say something, then they say, well, then why did you, why did, why did the, the Adventist church send them to be a minister in our church when the Adventist church already knew that there was a problem with this pastor? Now that reminds me of uh, the way that the Catholic, Catholic church, church absolutely. I knew you were say that. They know these people are terrors to their congregation. They send them to another, another parish. And mm -hmm. I heard too. In, the, in our church, because I like to think focus on our church, what our church is doing, that has happened with pastors. Pastors have gotten in trouble. They'll just write to another congregation. The other congregation doesn't know anything about it, but it will come out. And mm -hmm. then the congregation is thinking, why did they send this guy to us, knowing that he's doing these type of things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I think too often in that situation, they send them away so they're they're saying, you know, we don't want our conference to look bad or we don't want, you know, us to look bad. So we'll give them another chance by sending them somewhere else. But what happens if that pattern is repeated? And that's where I think when Ellen White is talking about when you got a good pastor coming in, he's got to undo. That means he's got to unteach the congregation 
on the things that were wrong and make it right because he's following God, which mm-hmm. means somebody's going to get mad and yeah. upset. Yes. And it's usually the people with the most money. I, I'm not talking. I mean, I'm being honest. The ones who got the most money, they usually agree, you know, with some of the stuff. And when when they find out that, you know, this is new coming in and he's got to preach the word of God, they get offended and leave. Sometimes, um, Sister White talks about, I, I think it was, um, it was either David or his son, uh, Solomon. But they had done so much wrong that they were afraid to call out sin or they were not willing to call out sin because of the sins they had done. And so I think that sometimes when you talk about moving a pastor from one spot to another spot, it's because those who are able to make those decisions find see themselves in that person and over empathize or sympathize and mm-hmm. losing or mm-hmm. um, some of the... the um, congregation lives to be lost and that pastor's life to be lost because you're, you're just ignoring and allowing them to continue on in sin. So, it's- so, so, so here's my question then, how should, how should some of our conferences address the, 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 those circumstances where you have pastors that have fallen into sin and um, what, what, what should our, our conferences do with those situations? They should do like they do to the rest of us. Censor us and then make us go get some help. (laughs) That's exactly right. I'm sorry, that's the way they do us. If we make a mistake, they censor you, they make you wait, then they tell you, well, we want you to go through these kind of a program to show that you, you know, that we can let you back in as a member. So do you take them off the payroll is what you're saying, Patsy? Yeah. No, I say just censor them, but, you know, keep them on the payroll. Don't get me wrong. Continue, but put them in a censoring thing to show that they're going to go through these steps to correct. Because God don't kick anybody to the curb. Only humans kick people to the curb. I say take them off the payroll and allow them to go through the process, like she says, of uh, uh, getting themselves back in order. Because I think it's more, it's not a light matter for the leader to be uh, in in, um, in defiance of God or not following the Lord, that's not a light light matter. You see what happens when that happened into uh, in uh, with forty five. I mean, this is a good example. You know, he he fed into that, fed into that until you had just open rebellion. And I think that's consistent. Is that you have rebellion at the end of that thing? So yes, you want to nip it in the bud. You want to stop it. You don't want to play with sin. It's not about, you know, like kicking him to the curve. It's about letting him wake up. We have to wake up and recognize how important this situation is. Mm. But, Lakita, what happens if he doesn't have the funds to go to these places that, you know, especially for ministers, they may be sending him to a place that's so expensive that he can't get the treatment that he needs or whatever. Then he's going to have to step down and go to the same places that the rest of the poor congregation has to go to. Amen. I think that, you know, Sister White says we don't understand the sinfulness of sin. We really need to be praying and asking God because, you know, we have our pet stuff that we hanging on to and we, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. For me, it may not be. But for, you know, maybe my grandchild or maybe my my son over there that's looking at me, it's going to carry them to hell. So, you know, we don't want to just be like hard and harsh on people. But at the same time, it's important. It's very, 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 very important. Okay. One of the things, too, that we have to remember, uh, if any of us have ever been on the church board where we had to do some discipline or whatever, censor somebody, you have to use judgment with it. Everybody's not the same. Maybe the person's truly struggling. Maybe this person is just outwardly rebellious and don't care. So you have to take all that into account. But one thing's for sure, if you just take the person and move them without any help or without any uh, type of action taken, they're just going to do the same thing wherever you send them. So there has to be something done other than just saying, well, you messed up here. We're going to send you over to this other conference or this other church where you can get it together. That's not fair to them. That's not fair to the church that you're sending them. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need uh, opportunity to come to the Lord. So we just have to use judgment. 
I agree. Amen. I agree. Do you think there's ever a situation where a pastor should just be outright fired? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Plenty, I'm sure. Hmm. What might what might one or two of those be? I'm sorry. When they start putting their hands on little boys and raping little boys, they should no longer be able to hold any kind of title. And I know the Catholic priests don't look. I guess the Catholics don't look. Hello. Uh -oh. I think we lost her. We dropped Patsy. Yeah, and okay. a lot of times the church will wink at certain things, particularly. Um, I'll say a, uh, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, if a church, if a pastor had a wandering eye they, and get in trouble in one place, they would send him to another place. That makes the whole system complicit. And mm -hmm. um, so that, that the problem runs deep and all of that should be purged. Because mm -hmm. it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not right to inflict other congregations with somebody who you know has a problem without addressing it. And I think all of us probably can name some pastors that that has occurred with, you know, they've done something and they just got shipped off and, and not helped at all, not counseled, not talked to, nothing, just ship them off to some other church. And then those people find out and they're mad because now it's like, what you send this guy to us for? Just like we we're just reading. <laughs> Why didn't y'all send him to us if you knew he wasn't right? And I personally now, is mad about that because the pastor they got had a problem somewhere else and they found out about it. And now it's mm -hmm. like, who this person was doing these things? Why did they send them here? Now we got to get rid of them. It's just mm -hmm. not right to anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I believe in uh, criminal prosecution. This stuff about everybody voting in the church, if you do certain things that are against the law, and mm -hmm. I mean, that church has a lot of things that are moral that may not be a against the law but if mm -hmm. it's both i believe it. yep yeah absolutely absolutely uh let's go to paragraph 446.1 uh she's talking about ministers those who minister in word and doctrine should themselves be patterns of good works they should be examples in holiness cleanliness and order the appearance of the servant of God out of the pulpit and in should be that of a living preacher. He can accomplish far more by his godly example than by merely preaching in the desk while his influence out of the desk is not worthy of imitation. So she's saying there that our ministers and, and you know what, this doesn't even really just apply to our ministers that we should be in the will of God whether we are at work, whether we are at home, we should be living a godly lifestyle, period. Mm -hmm. Wherever we are, we should be living a godly lifestyle. And a lot of times, you know, we, we as human beings, we do things in, well, in secret from other human beings. But nothing is in secret from God. He sees all, he knows all, and the recording angel is recording everything. Amen. One of the things you just read about uh, pastors, and then it is true, all of us should be examples of holiness, cleanliness, and order. But that's not to say you, you're going to be perfect. Uh, we all struggling to make it. But it says in the next paragraph, as a person manifests an earnestness to improve upon the talent God has given them. So uh, we're all uh, trying. To, we're all trying to become more like Christ through His Holy Spirit's presence. That's a good thing, you know, person's trying to do right. But when you have people who have constantly, consistently been rebellious, just like Lucifer, well, ain't too much else you can do with them. And the, the apostles say, make that person just no longer a part of the group. You know, it's so mm -hmm. you just have to say, you can't be with us anymore if, if you're uh, feeling that way. Right. And I'm not exactly sure where we are right now, but I'm reading in a paragraph that it says, let him show to others that the, that the truth has done something for him. Mm -hmm. Our struggle and our process of trying to be Christ-like, when it's, when it's sincere, it's a witness to others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If she can do it, if she can give that up or whatever, I can do it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever Mr. met anyone? Go ahead, Patsy. 
I got kicked out, so I don't know what paragraph we're on. Oh, okay. Okay. We were just reading in uh, paragraph 446.1. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, have you ever met anyone that, to you, they were so humble and so Christ-like that you just, you just said, mm, you know, I, 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 I. I just, I just want to be more like, obviously more like Christ, but you see Christ in that person. Yeah. Apology. I'm a witness. Apology. No, Patsy. Patsy. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she has looked at you. I'm not kidding. She was, she, even when the church was open, she would always have a smile when she ushered. She would always say something nice to me. I said, you know, it's just. You know, you just value even the little things when she say good, you know, good, good, happy Sabbath, you know, just with that smile. And I said, and you know, and just like I said, she's always said something kind. Mm. Glory to God. Because <laughs> if you lived with me. <laughs> but only God know that part, though. But I'm just, I mean, I'm being honest, you know, and I said, and then, you know, I think of so many people that have just reached out. I mean, Karen, look what you do. You bring me a whole book of study stuff that I can spend time learning about Ellen White. You didn't have to do that. You didn't ask for anything. You just stuck it in the mailbox. And I just say, thank the Lord. Again, praise the Lord. Yeah, praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. So that, those <laughs> examples are all around us. And like you said, pretty much everyone on this panel has blessed me in one way or another. Just yes. The fact that you guys Little are Carol got me my books that I need. <laughs> and the, the fact that you guys are consistent and organized, it keeps me coming back. I know I'll always have a Bible study on Sabbath afternoon. And that's Amen. a blessing. So Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's Amen. really good. That's really good that we can see Christ in each other. And then even in all of our flaws, because I know we're very familiar with, you know, where our shortcomings are and, you know, there's still more to be discovered for sure. But it's great to see, hey, you can see Christ in each other, you know. Hey, and the thing but you know, and it's, it's, it's wonderful when so, you may say something or you may think something, but you, the forgiveness that, that I feel at the top, I mean, there are times maybe in Sabbath school, I might have said something and I've been uh, totally off the point. They don't make you feel stupid. They just come along and say, well, let, let's look at it in another way. You know, and, and so it's that thing that even if I make a mistake, I know I got some brothers and sisters that will forgive me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Amen to that. And, and that's what it's all about. It's, it, it's about when people look at us, seeing Christ in us because of, uh, of the, our choices and the things that, 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 we choose to do as far as our behavior is concerned. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, let's see, let me go. I'm gonna read it, just go hit, touch on a couple more things and then we're gonna go ahead and close out for today. Um, let's see. Um, down in paragraph 447.1 near the bottom or kind of near the middle, she's talking about how people may show or other preachers even may show a preference for a, a preacher or a speaker who manifests considerable zeal in his preaching. He has pleasing stories um, uh, and an animated mind, but they leave no lasting impression once they're, once they're done with their, with their preaching or their speaking. Mm -hmm. And then she's... And then she said, at the same time, these same ministers uh, may put a, a low estimate upon a preacher who has prayerfully studied that he may present before the people the arguments of our position in a calm manner and in a connected form. But his labor is not appreciated. He's often treated with indifference. And so at this point, she's talking about the brethren and how they see one of their own versus another of their own. Which is how it is if you like um, a lot of people watch uh, televangelists, TV preachers, and they'll mm -hmm. say, love this guy. Oh, I love this woman preaching over here. But, you know, I try and give everybody a chance. So I listen to some of the people. And every, um, in every case, you'll find 
that there are some who are really flashy and have a lot of nice, cute stories, but they don't give you any word from the Lord. And then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you would consider kind of boring, but these people yeah, have studied and prayed and a lot of people don't like them, but right. it is right. in real, real life too with right. Which, which goes you back be to, careful. which goes back to, we love to be entertained mm-hmm. rather than converted. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the whole well, these mega churches are built on that. Like TJ, T was his name, TJ TD Jakes. You're right, Jakes. very entertaining. I can see he's a great communicator. He has a gift, but he does not divide the word correctly a lot of the time. So I cannot watch him to get any um, spiritual nourishment. He's mm-hmm. pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think Joe, that, that, that man named exactly Joe, who I was thinking about too. Mm. That man that. named Joe, what is his name? Joe something. Oh, yeah, I said, I, it was late. I mean, at 1230 at night, they came on talking about, if you order this tape from him, and I'm like, you. I said, that's a motivator speaker. That's not a, a to me, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say he, he doesn't have Christ in him, but when you go talking about no. order this from him, and I'm like, then why? he's more of a motivated speaker to me. This, this is exactly what this is talking about, how we all see things differently, because I've listened to Joel Osteen, and I think he does a lot of studying what he preaches. You can see it in the scriptures, but, you know, all evangelists got to find a way to pay for this stuff. So I understand that point, but it's just <laughs> out that we all see things a little bit differently. But as the scripture said to the word and the testimony, if it's not according to that, there's no light in it. So you have mm-hmm. all these preachers by the script by the holy scriptures. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Right. And, and in fact, paragraph 447.2, kind of near the bottom, um, she says, in the work of teaching the truth, it is necessary that the important points of our position be well fortified with scriptural evidence. So yeah, she's pointing out what I think one of you all already said that that. They need to be preaching from the word. And if they're not preaching from the word, then the found that the, 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 the message will not have the, the intended effect. Uh, and then let's see, we're going to drop down to paragraph 446 point. I'm sorry, 448.1. And she's talking about how she's talking about brother C at this point. And she's talking about how he can speak in a manner of interest to the congregation but if this was all that was necessary, then a class of brothers and sisters would be right in their estimation of him. But she says he's not a thorough workman. He's not reliable. In church trials, he is of no account. He, he does not have experience, judgment, and discernment to be of any benefit to the church when in trial. He has not been a thoroughgoing man in temporal matters. And although he has but a small family, he has needed assistance more or less. And the same lack, the same lack is manifested in spiritual things as in temporal affairs. So basically, she's saying that this man has not even governed his own household very well. And he's always he's always in need of help. Well, by the same token, when he gets in the pulpit, he's not successful because he does not thoroughly um, study. He does not thoroughly do the things that are necessary in order to come when he comes and stands in the way in the pulpit to uh, bring the word in the in the in a manner that it will stick to me that's the difference between a pastor and a preacher you know mm. you get a preacher to run the church sometimes you get a pastor to run the church but what you want is a good combination of both. Right, absolutely. Good at bringing yeah, the word, but also good with dealing with the members and administration of the church. Right, right. You need both. Uh, I remember my cousin told me that they had a wonderful preacher in his church down in Miami. He said the man can bring the word and the man is a great pastor, great minister of God. So, so, and I, I so I told him, I said, well, um, when your conference is ready to move them, can we have them? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't always find somebody who fits both areas. Right, right. Absolutely. 
Uh, let's see. And uh, then I'm going to go down to the next, next to the last paragraph, top of it. And uh, she's talking, I think, again about Brother C. And she says, he's not capable of building up churches. When he feels the woe upon him, if he preached not the gospel as self-sacrificing preachers have felt in the past, then like them, he will be willing to labor with his hands a part of the time to earn means to support his family, that he may not be burdensome to the church. And then he will go forth, not merely to preach, but to save souls. So basically she's saying that he always has his hand out to the church to support him. When at times, while he's learning and while he's in, he should be under the tutorship of more experienced pastors, while he's learning that, he should be supporting his own family during that time period while in, in, in a mode of learning. And then at that point, you know, he can come in and, and basically um, depend on the church to, to support him and his family. Because the difference with that, Karen, is this. If you start off taking care of him, you are indulging him and he's becoming more entitled, like you're supposed to take care of him. Right. When he hasn't even gone, he, he hasn't even proven himself to be worthy right. of being taken care of by the church. But if he has to take care of himself for a minute and then when he, that job is gone, he should be better with time management because he's been working in the church and working a full-time job. There should be mm -hmm. gratitude that he you know, is grateful that the church has picked him up and that, and for this job, et cetera, et cetera. And then there should be a more uh, commitment to God because God has opened his pathway to him. Well, you know, that happened to my brother back home in Indiana. He tried to, when he got his, when he got ordained, he went to open up a church in Muncie. And because the members was like, we don't want him working at the electric company no more and all this. And we're going to get by him a car and stuff. And when he told them no, they decided they didn't want him. So he went on over in Anderson, oh, wow. Indiana, and he opened up his church and he did well. But the, mm. in, in my little hometown, it's like the the members want the pastors to be dressed in the best and buy the, the, the cars and stuff. And my brother was like, that's not what God has for me to do. He said, I'm going to continue to work at the electric company and be a preacher at the same time. Mm. And you know what's interesting? We saw that in the example of, of Paul in the Old Testament, I mean, in the New Testament, where he was a tent maker and he purposely said, I don't want to be a burden to anybody. So I work with labor with my hands in his field that he knew how to do. He said, so nobody will be able to say they supported me and they took care of me. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and then she I says... Mean, oh, it's, it's so many churches back home that they still, you know, I, I say that, you know, they, they, they make their pastors look the way they want. And then I said, what happens with the pastor preaching something they don't like? What's going to happen? His car going to be gone? His uh, soul going to be gone or what? Mercy. Mercy. We've been freed from all that struggle. You know, the pastors get paid a salary by the union or whoever, you know, mm -hmm. uh, power said be. But I think mm -hmm. that we struggle to get back into that. We want to be in this competition with, you know, when it's pastor's anniversary and this mm -hmm. anniversary and that person's anniversary, we're struggling around to find out how to pay. I think I've always, I'm, y'all probably hear this sermon from me like once a quarter because I there's great freedom in what we have. And I find that we give it up trying to be like other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, last point I want to point out is, is she says uh, and found the bottom of paragraph 448.2 she says until this minister possesses an entirely different spirit and acts from unselfish principles he would be better to give up the idea of preaching mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mercy mercy mm -hmm. You know, the word says that many are called, but few are chosen. And there are probably a plethora, I'm using Paul, Paul Harris's word here, a plethora of people that are in the ministry that have not been chosen. And they have basically placed themselves in that position. I have a question, Karen, and I mm -hmm. guess maybe Elder Carroll or somebody can answer. How, how, as far as ministers, like you just you just read, 
what happens if they're not called into that? Do do they have a no? Is there a conscience that says I need to admit to myself, even though my granddad was a minister or my father was a minister, that maybe it's not good for me? You know, do they take that step and come out, or do they say this is what the family expects? You know, what I'm you know what I'm asking. How do they how do they know that you know it's I mean, is it a thing that they feel like they have to because generation and generation? But what happens if they get to their generation, they say, that's not what I want to do. God has something else for me. Do they recognize that? Mm. I think that's an individual thing. And some may and some may not, you know, Um, you know, that's 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 not a that's not a question that we could really answer without talking to some of them and just ask them. Well, like they say, many are called, few are chosen, some just went. And so mm-hmm. just went without the Lord calling them. Right. You say, right. I see they, the Lord talks to each of us and he right. lets them know this is not what I called you to do or this is what I called you to do. But like, uh, just like with Jonah, you can say, I'm not going to do it. Or you can say, well, Maybe you didn't call me, but I'm going to do it anyway. We all have freedom of choice. But if the Lord, like it says, if the Lord doesn't build the house, they that labor build it in vain. That includes okay. out there trying to preach on your own, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because mm-hmm. the reason why I say that, I hear so many uh, people now saying, well, God, I heard, God told me this and God told me that. And I'm like, but if it's not going along with the word of God, did God really tell them? I mean, all you can do is kind of listen and, and, and by us studying, when we hear that, we're like, that is not what the Lord says in the, in at least my Bible, you know, in the, in the word of God. So I think sometimes they change it because they'll say the Lord told me. And I'm like, but that's not what the word of God says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just so easy to start a church. Now. I don't even think you need a license. You just put up a sign and, People start coming over to your house, giving you money, and you get to talk and to say how you feel. That makes people feel pretty good, you know, so they keep it up. They get more people. And before you know it, they really do think they're called. But again, right. if the Lord is not in it, it's all in vain. Right. And I was, that's, that's so funny, Lee, that you said you mentioned that because I was going to talk about all these little storefront churches that pop up everywhere. And they somebody just calls themselves the evangelist or the minister or the bishop or the pastor or, the or whatever. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I watched something on Thursday night with the man that uh, the doomsday man that he 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 was preaching the word of God and he got all these people to to join him. And then later on, it came on another one was when uh, some kind of nexium had these people thinking that he was part of, you know, he's preaching the word and making them feel good. And he done branded all these people. And I was like, my goodness, this is getting worldwide where these people, like you said, just pop up and say the Lord told them. And yet if God's going to gonna lead you, he's not going to have you to kill no kids or go around killing people or mistreating women and branding them. And I said, it's, it, I said, it's, it's time to really know God is really near coming to us. Mm-hmm. Well, it's easy. It's easy because people not studying, like you had mentioned earlier, Patsy. People don't really study or read the Bible. So if someone jumps up talking about the Lord told them this, and a lot of people are just looking to join a team, any kind of team, just a group to feel like they belong to something. And a lot of times they do end up in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a corrupt leader. I mean, we can see all through the Bible, and in our Sabbath school lesson, Ahaz, you notice God deals with the kings because he's the leader and people follow, whether mm-hmm. by decree or by will. Mm-hmm. And um, the Bible, t- and I wish I knew the, the exact verses, but the Bi- Bible talks about the harsh punishment. He condemns, it's like, a, I'll just put it in my terms, a, a special place in hell for leaders that because they take people with them. They steal souls. They corrupt others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they lead them astray. And mm-hmm. uh, like false prophets and, and things like that. I mean, look at the last, uh, look at 45 and the mess that he stirred up. It is now a cult. And yes. so I mean, yes. can go on about examples of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, I, I you know, 
it's interesting that, yeah, as you were saying, Paula, that a leader is held to a higher standard because of their influence over the people. And we saw multiple times in the Bible where those kings were evil and they led God's people astray. They led them to worshiping idols and sacrificing their children and all kind of stuff like that. And uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. Was there any, anything else that anyone else wanted to bring out in this chapter? If not, we'll go ahead and uh, close out in prayer and uh, go off of live. Uh, Lee, would you give us a word of prayer, please? Okay. Before we um, go off, we're on chapter eight in the book Heaven next week. Chapter eight, Face okay. to Face at Last in the book Heaven. What's the title? Face to Face at Last. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for being with us, for blessing us with a word from on high. We thank you for your holy scriptures, which leads us to a, to a closer walk with thee. We ask and pray that you continue to bless our efforts, Lord. Allow your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into our truth and help us, dear Lord. Save us when you return in that blessed day that we're all waiting for. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. 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 And I'm going to end this live. All right, he's coming to do that.